We are looking forward to summer. And so when we call this Summer Nights and we said, welcome to Summer Nights, we are like claiming it. It is around the corner. Welcome to Summer Nights. Like um, Laura said at the beginning, my name is Wendy Scott. And um, as we, Jen, Jen alluded to this just a little bit, as Laura and Jen and I were praying about this, um, what, just what our theme would be, what, what we would discuss throughout the summer, um, we, Laura said, hey, what about this? What about we talk about John chapter 14 where Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life? And we just look at those three words and we, and we, and we just dig in to see what really we can mine out of the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's the chorus that Jen um, sang and had us um, memorize. You guys have memorized that, I'm sure. So that's the chorus, that's the idea for that chorus, is that we're going to be looking at Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps or just an internet connection, you can go ahead and get to John chapter 14, and that's where we're going to be. But before we get there, I just want to, I want to set the scene just a little bit. And tonight, sort of, we're going to set a lot of context. We're going to, we're going to constantly be um, po- thinking about the context of this passage because it is really important. But before we get there, the first four books of the New Testament, this is probably a re- just something that most of you know, but for those of you who might not be familiar, the first four books of the New Testament are what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are books that are primarily concerned with telling us the narrative of what Jesus did. And so in those stories, we hear what Jesus did. We're constantly seeing what he did. The narrative of John, though, has a little bit of a different focus. The book of John is primarily concerned with telling us who Jesus is. And so how that works is John does tell us what Jesus did, but in all of those stories, we see, we, we see this theme that runs throughout the book, and, and it's picked up in a series of statements that Jesus makes about himself, and they're what we call the I am statements. And so you can probably think of some of those off the top of your head. Um, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am uh, the vine. I am the resurrection and the life. So all of these I am statements that Jesus makes in, in, in all, all throughout the book of John, they're really important because Jesus is telling us about himself. He's revealing part of himself to us in ways that we can understand. And so he's making the infinite God um, known by finite people. And so he's using things that we know are tangible to us. And so when he says he's the bread of life, when he says he's the vine, these are things that we have experience with, that we can see and we can touch. And because we can experience those things, then we can make the transition and say, okay, well, what is it that Jesus is telling us about himself when he calls himself this? So that's what we're going to do this summer. I'm going to talk tonight about Jesus when he says, I am the way. Next month, Laura will talk about the truth, and then you get the math, right? July will be um, the life. So if you're in John chapter 14, here's the scene. We are picking up in the middle of what is the Last Supper, This is the last meal that Jesus is going to share with only his disciples before he goes to the cross. And knowing that this is ahead of him, he's having this intimate supper with his closest companions. 
And in chapter 13, chapter 13 ends with Jesus telling Peter, when Peter's like, Oh, Lord, I will follow you anywhere. There is nothing that could happen that would ever make me. I mean, it's just this, I will never, ever leave, which is such a, sounds like such a God tone to take. I will never leave you. And Jesus turns to Peter and he said, Actually, before the night is over, you're gone. You're going to deny me three times before the night is even over. That's what... That's where your bravado is taking you. And so that's how chapter 13 ends. So let's pick up in chapter 14, verse 1. And here's what Jesus says. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus has told them troubling news. All they know, they've been with him for these three years. They've left everything to follow him. They think there's, there's an inauguration of a new kind of king coming to Israel. And they have these grand plans. They think something is about to happen. And they think they're on the leadership team. And then this night, they get to this night. And the beginning of chapter 13 tells us Jesus was troubled in his spirit. They get to this night and Jesus says, I'm going away. You can't follow me. Peter, you're going to deny me, and later I want you to come to where I am. He's given them very troubling news. All of that is troubling. All of that shatters every expectation they had about what was about to happen, about what they were a part of, about where he was going, what he was about. All of that shatters their expectations, and then Jesus says to them, But don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Here's all of this troubling news, but don't let your heart be troubled. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm about to give you the prescription for a troubled heart in a troubled world so that you can live untroubled in in troubling circumstances. The circumstances aren't going to change, but you can have an untroubled heart as you walk through them. And I wish he gives, he gives several different prescriptions in this just short six verses. I wish we could look at all of them. Um, but tonight we're going to look at just this one little piece about how we can have, about the prescription for a troubled heart in a troubled world. We're going to look at how Jesus calls himself the way. His affection here is amazing to me. The fact that he, knowing what is ahead of him, has the presence of mind to collect his disciples and and has such concern and care for them to go, don't let your heart be troubled. I know what's happening. I know it's about to happen. Don't let your heart be troubled. (sighs) Because Jesus is the way. Now, when I say this word, the way, I I mean, immediately what comes to my mind is Google Maps, right? Because I use Google Maps for, for everything. Um, I, I, I'm actually, I'm fascinated with maps. 
My husband is fascinated with maps too, but we're fascinated with maps for very different reasons. He loves to look, he can flip through an atlas for hours on end. He's just super, he's, he's the brains of this whole operation. And, um, and so he is fascinated with maps and he knows geography and he's interested. He, his, his degree is in geology and so he's very interested in topography and all of those things that sound really smart. And I, um, I shared this on Monday night because just not, not too long ago at our dinner table, he's constantly asking us just questions just he'll pose a question at dinner and then we have to go around and answer. He goes, he goes, Hey, let's go around the table and one by one, see if we can name all of the countries in Europe. (laughs) I was like, I can't, I mean, on the spot, I can't even think of one. I'm just like sweating. My pits are sweating. I'm like, I don't know. I think France, I don't know. Anyway, but we, we did. And so he's fascinated with maps because he wants to find obscure rivers in Southeast Asia. Um, I am a high tension person. And so I'm always looking for the escape route and the, and the what to do if the, the worst thing happens. And so I want to know my way around every obstacle. I want to know multiple ways to get places. And so, so I will study a city map if I'm going to that city. But if I am not going to that city, I do not care about that map. Otherwise, I am fascinated by that map. I want to know whenever, whenever Laura said you'd be teaching at Sumner's Hall, you know what the first thing I did was? Google Maps, Sumner's Hall, got it, know where it is, know three ways to get there. So whenever I hear the word the way, I think the direction, right? So in, in my mind, I think I'm where the disciples were because Jesus said, I'm going away and where I'm going, you can't come now, but you will, you will, I will come and get you and you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas, just my soul animal goes, what? we don't know where you're going. How do we even know the way? And that's my response. My panicked response would be the same thing. I don't know where you're going. How do I even know the way? I don't even know. And so his panic really is born out of probably a misunderstanding of where Jesus is going, what this destination is. Because Jesus wasn't talking about a latitude and a longitude, which is what is what would come to our minds, which is what came to Thomas's mind and Peter in the chapter before, the same thing. We don't know where you're going. And so they're, they're not understanding where it is that Jesus is going, but he had just told them, did you pick up on it? He said, he said, in my father's house are many rooms. And if I go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, and I'm going to come back and take you to myself. And so the misunderstanding the disciples have is that they are trying to figure out how it is that they are going to get the correct map to get to the place where Jesus is going. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to my father and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to myself. So where is this destination? This destination really, it's, it's less about a place, like we would just call that heaven. But do you realize heaven is only heaven, not because of where it is, but who dwells there? Because God in his unfiltered glory resides in what we call heaven, but everything that's good about heaven, the no tears, the no pain, the no sorrow, that it's 
that it's beautiful and verdant and like the Garden of Eden, where everything is fully alive. All of those qualities are, the only reason those qualities are true is because Jesus is there in his unfiltered glory. God is there in his unfiltered glory. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to the Father. And so their panic was, I don't know how to get there. And he's saying, I said I would come and I would take you to myself so that where I am, you can be. Where my father is, you can be. And so their panic was born out of just a misunderstanding of what the destination actually is. And Jesus is saying, no, listen to me. I'm telling you, I'm the road, I'm the transportation, I myself am the destination. I'm the destination. But Thomas doesn't... Thomas doesn't get this, and so he sets Jesus up perfectly for this, I am the way, I am the chief, because he goes, I don't know the way. And he goes, you do know the way. I'm the way. I'm the way to get there. I'm the way. Now listen, again, I want us to, I want us to be so focused about this context here, because unfortunately, so often I think this passage has been um, lifted out of context and used almost like a club to beat people over the head and say, Jesus is the only way to God. Now listen to me. This word, the, this exclusive article, the, um, is very offensive to some people. And I'm telling you, when Jesus said, I am the way and no one comes to the Father except by me, he meant it. He is the only way to God. But in this context, he wasn't weaponizing this statement. He wasn't in a debate with the Pharisees. He wasn't in a debate with people of other religions, just debating on how it is that we approach God. That's not where he was. Do you remember where he was? He's with his disciples in the most intimate setting. This is the Last Supper. These are the last words, these are the last moments that he gets to have with them before he suffers the cross and before their worlds are turned upside down. And he knows what's ahead of them. And so because he knows what's ahead of them, in all of his affection and his love, he wants to tell them this, I am the way. I'm the way. He's not saying no one comes to the Father but by me and all of his ego like Muhammad Ali. He's not doing that. He's going, listen to me, guys, I want to tell you something. I'm the, I'm the only way to the Father. If there was any other way, I would show you. Excuse me. He goes, if there's any other way, an easier way... I would take it, but I'm it. I'm the only way. <clears throat> so when Jesus talks about the way to God, that he's the way to God, how do you get to God? He says, I'm going to the Father, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you to the Father. Now, in the Jewish mind, all of these disciples are Jewish. In the Jewish mind, the way to where God dwells has a very specific context. I want you to look. Turn um, in, in your, on your Bible app or in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. 
In the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 16. In the Old Testament, God had redeemed the people of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses was leading the people of Israel to the promised land. And while they were in the wilderness, God said, I'm going to dwell with you in a very specific way. And so he, had, he instructed Moses to build a tabernacle, which was going to be God's dwelling place. And in that tabernacle, it was like nesting dolls. It was a room inside of a room inside of a room. And the very center room is the most, what we call the holy of holies. It was the most sacred room. And the reason it was so is because inside the holy of holies was the ark of the covenant. And over the ark of the covenant is what they call the mercy seat. The covering over the ark was the mercy seat. And and God, when all of this was constructed and the Holy of Holies was finished and the tabernacle was completely finished, God in his glory came down in a cloud and dwelt his visible presence. <coughs> I'm so sorry. His visible presence would dwell over the seat, the mercy seat, in a cloud. Yeah, could I have some more? Thank you. <coughs> Pause for just a minute, y'all. Let me wet this thing right quick. The joy you get now is hearing it click in my teeth for the rest of the time. So the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, but it was surrounded by these thick curtains. And the reason it was surrounded by these thick curtains is because no man could just enter and see God. They couldn't just enter into God's presence. And so Leviticus chapter 16 tells us is God's instruction to Moses about how they are supposed to treat the Holy of Holies. So here we are in in chapter 16, verse 2. It says, tell your brother Aaron, this is God speaking to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he may not come whenever he wants into the Holy into the holy place behind the curtain in front of the mercy seat on the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 20 tells us no man can see God and live. Now why is that? Because God is a holy God and he cannot have his holiness defiled by anything unholy. And so anything that is unholy that enters into the presence of God has to be destroyed immediately or else God's holiness is offended. It's defiled. And so he has this thick curtain that stands between where he dwells on earth and the sinners that he dwells with. And so the curtain is just a visible representation of the fact that there is a barrier between us and God. And that barrier is there by our sin, but he hangs the curtain there as a mercy for us because he says, look, I want to dwell with you, but you cannot see me. Chapter 16 goes on to tell us how it is that a man can come before God. I'm so sorry. (coughs) There was only one person who could enter into the Holy of Holies, and that person was the high priest. And he could only come once a year. 
And when he came, you would read in the rest of Leviticus chapter 16. When he came, he could only come after he sacrificed a number of animals. And he had to shed the blood of a number of animals. Like, it seems like a gruesome scene, if you really think about it. And so the high priest once a year had to shed the blood of innocent animals as a covering for his own sin to make him worthy to enter into the presence of God. So the way to God in the Old Testament was by the shedding of a lot of blood. And it was innocent blood shed because of sin. And so when all of those sacrifices had been made in just the prescribed way, then and only then the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the rest of the people of Israel. And the high priest went as the representative, but only he could go. And so this is what in the Jewish mind is the way to God. So when Jesus calls himself the way and he's going to the Father, what should all of this tell us now? When Jesus says, I'm the way, he's saying, and he said, did you see what he said in, um, in verse 3? He says, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. Did you see that? If I go away and prepare a place for you. The whole idea here is not that there was something in disrepair in heaven or in, in God's presence. There's not something that he has to go and Chip and Joanna gains it. I mean, there's nothing in disrepair. There's nothing that needs rehab. Everything is perfect there. What do you think needed to be prepared? The way. See, the preparation had not yet been made for us to enter into the presence of God. Why? Do you know how you enter into the presence of God? When innocent blood is shed and your sin is atoned, then you can come to God. And so when Jesus says, I'm the way, no man comes to the Father except by me, he really meant there's no blood that gains you admission to the Father like my blood. You see, and what the priest would do once a year, only the high priest, he's saying, no, 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 I'm going to prepare a place for you. There are many rooms there. It's not just this one exclusive person that gets to come. And so this, this I am the way, no one comes to the Father except by me, is not this idea of just like bragging and just this bravado and, just, and, and doing the, I'm the greatest. What he's saying there is out of affection and out of love. See, his motivation here is only love. A number of years ago, my, well, my doubles partner in high school, um, from high school, was getting married several years ago. <coughs> and she was marrying this guy who was pretty wealthy, and um, he owned this vast ranch, or still owns this vast ranch out in the hill country. And the wedding was there. So um, we got this invitation, and on the invitation there are not directions to the wedding venue. Instead, it said that we would be shuttled there and we had to meet at one of a few locations and take the shuttle to the wedding. 
Now, in my mind, I'm like, are you kidding me? It, is this so incredibly fancy that we have to take these shuttles to the wedding because the secret location and you're not going to tell us how to get there? Are you really serious that you're going to make us ride these shuttles? Were you going to use blackout curtains so we couldn't get back if we wanted to? In my mind, I'm just going through all this stuff and I'm like, no, I guarantee you that we can get to this wedding. And I, I already said I'm high tension and I want the escape route. And so I'm like, I'm not going to be at this place out in the middle of God knows where without my own car and a way to get home when I'm good and ready. Also, thank you. Also, I'm an introvert. So, you know, crowds and, and I got to tap out early. So, so we get all snazzied up and I was looking pretty cute. And, um, it was like the last time I was probably looking cute. And, and so we, we're, we're running late and I'm telling them, no, y'all, I guarantee you we will be able to get there. I know it said the shuttle leaves at 5.15 and it's 5.30. I guarantee you we are going to get there. Just watch. Watch me work my magic. So we get to this place where the shuttle was supposed to meet everyone, and I walk into the front desk, and I'm like, hey, we're here for the wedding, but we missed the shuttle. Can you tell us how to get there? And she's like, oh, no, ma'am, I cannot. And I'm like, can't or won't? Oh, no, I don't know where that is. You missed the shuttle. I'm so sorry. I do not think that you were going to be able to go. You guys, you know what? We couldn't get there. We totally missed the wedding because we missed the one and only way there. And so I like am like, oh, that exclusive whatever. So later, a few days later, I'm talking to my friends that are there, and I'm trying to get the lowdown. Here's what I learned. You know why they offered shuttles? The ranch is so vast that there are no streets that are marked. There, it's, the directions are practically impossible to tell you how to get to this place. Not only that, after dark, it's kind of treacherous, and they didn't want all of their guests trying to leave the ranch after having had a couple drinks probably and feeling pretty good, but in the middle of nowhere and not knowing where they're going. And so you know what they decided to do out of their care and affection for their guests? They decided to just offer them transportation. You guys, we missed the wedding. We missed the way because they offered us this out of affection and love. They offered us this one and only way to get to where this wedding was. And so I, whenever I thought about Jesus saying, I, I'm the way, I'm the way. He wasn't, he, it wasn't like this. He wasn't trying to just beat you up. He wasn't trying to win a contest. Instead, he was saying, what I'm telling you is, I'm the only way you're going to get to God. If you're going to get to God, I'm the only way to get there. Okay, so keeping in mind what it is that this Jewish idea of how to get to God is. I want us to look in Matthew chapter 27. It's um, as Jesus is hanging on the cross. And here's what happens. The very last thing. Jesus in Matthew chapter 27 verse 50. There's this tiny little verse and it means a ton to us tonight. I want you to turn there. It says, but Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly. The curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. In the tabernacle at this time, this curtain was 30 feet tall. 
And from top to bottom, at the moment that Jesus breathed his last and bled out his final drop of blood, do you know what happened? The way to God opened up. Do you know why? Jesus prepared a place for you. And so when he says, I'm the way, what he means is, my poured out blood is what provides the way for you to get to God. And now this curtain that had been standing as a barrier between God and man and provided only exclusive access to God, it is obliterated. Because no longer do you need the shed blood of innocent animals because the shed blood of the perfect lamb has been made for you. And so now you have access to God. You have the way to God. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, he's just telling them the truth. And, and Thomas, in his panic, is like, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. How do we know the way? How do we know the way? And he grabs him and far from going, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to God by me. What he does is he grabs his face in his hands and he says, no, listen to me. I'm telling you something. I'm the way. I'm the way. Stop panicking. Several years ago, my middle daughter was, she was probably three years old. And, um, on Christmas Eve, she's weeping in her bed. And so my husband and I go rushing in there. And Why are you crying? And she's just crying. She can't get her breath in. So we're trying to figure out what are you saying. We finally get her calm enough. And she goes, I, she can't sleep. I can't sleep. Why can't you sleep? Because he sees me when I'm sleeping. <laughs> we're like, Oh, Santa. Nope. There's not a creepy old guy in your room watching you while you're asleep. I'm like, this child is terrified. And she's like, he's going to watch me while I sleep. And so she's like panicked. And my husband holds her face, her three-year-old little face in his hands. And he locks eyes with her. And he goes, I'm Santa. I'm Santa. I'm Santa. I don't watch you while you sleep. He's like, I'm going to tell you the truth. (laughs) And do you know what? It did not ruin that child's Christmas when she heard the truth. It calmed her right down and she went to sleep. And so that's what Jesus is doing here in his affection. He is just under that chin and he's saying, look at me. I know what's coming. I know what's about to happen, and so I'm going to fortify you against any doubt. You look at me. I'm the way. I'm the way. What does that mean if I'm the way? Somebody's blood has to be spilled. How do I make a way for you to get to God? I become the way to God. By my own shed blood, I become the way to God. So let's tie it all up. The best illustration, I think, in the Bible, where, where we get all the connections made between the Old Testament tabernacle and the Holy of Holies, and then Jesus himself, is Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. And I would recommend that you read through those chapters on your own sometimes, but I'm going to pick out a few passages out of these two chapters that I'm going to read aloud to you tonight because it ties the bow on what 
on what we've been talking about. So here's what I'm going to do. You can write this down if you want. I'm going to be in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 14. And then I'm going to skip to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. But Christ has appeared as high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, that sounds like a lot, but go back and read it. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. That is his flesh. The new and living way through the curtain is his flesh. So when the curtain tore from top to bottom, it meant that there's no longer any need for sacrifice. The one has been made for you. And so when he says, I'm the way, there's no other way to God. Hear me tonight when I say, have you been trying to find any other way to God? Have you been in your own in your own works? Have you been satisfied just thinking, God, oh, God is a God of love, right? If I'm just a good person, I can get to God. If my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I can get to God. I can make my own way to God. Hear me when I tell you and listen to the words of Jesus. No, you cannot. There is no more perfect blood that you can shed. There's no way that you can create on your own. And I'm not telling you that, like I'm not using that as a weapon tonight. I'm just simply holding your face in my hands and I'm saying, there is no other way to God. Listen, don't miss it. Don't be like the Babylonians who tried to build a tower by their own works trying to reach God. Don't do that. You can't do it. You know why Proverbs 14, Proverbs 16 tell us, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is death. Listen, whatever it is that you're banking on to be your way to God, if it's not the blood of Jesus Christ, if it is not his torn flesh, then you will not get there. You just won't. The way to God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. He himself is the way. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to be dismissed. But if you need prayer... We're gonna, you can find ladies that are going to be parked on either side. And so I would encourage you, if you're just wrestling with something tonight, if there's something that you just haven't quite put together, or if maybe tonight you're realizing for the very first time, hey, I've been banking on a different way, and I don't really know this Jesus, and I don't really know exactly how it is that I get to God through him, listen, you can go pray with these ladies tonight. They will be happy to share with you how to do that. So let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Jesus, whenever we think about what it costs you to become the way to God, it is staggering. I cannot wrap my mind around it. 
and your affection and your care for us as you say, I am the way. There is no other way to God. That you would just freely lay down your life, own blood, pave the pathway to God is amazing. And so, Father, tonight, I would just ask you for this one thing. I would just ask you for your fresh words to fall on hard hearts. God, I pray that your freshness, that your newness, that your affection, that your mercy and your love would awaken someone in your son. And that by, for the very first time, they would find the way to God that they have been desperately searching for. But for those of us who have known you for a long time, Father, we can slip back into just functionally relying on our own deeds, forgetting that the way to God has been provided through your broken and torn flesh. And so, Father, would you make that come alive to us again? Would you make that new and fresh and wonderful so that as we consider that and meditate on it, Father, that it becomes um, fresh soil, for a new work of your spirit. And in all of this, we give you great thanks. Amen.